my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So the stock markets here in the United States and elsewhere in the world are having significantly rough days. And I don't know, and nobody knows, if this is the beginning of a true lasting stock market route that would lead to what's known as a correction where the value of your investments in your 401k or an investment account or whatever would fall typically 10% or more, or this could be the start of a bear market, which is a decline of 20% or more, or it's just a few bad trading days. The reality is that what set off the problems for investors is the extreme increase in the number of coronavirus cases in the United States, a point where hospitalizations are surging, and we are at what public health people refer to as a critical point, is the kindest words they're using. There are some that are like talking about panic, about what's going on with coronavirus, And we do have a real problem because we have the public health aspect of people getting ill. We are going to have, unfortunately, a spike in the number of Americans who die from coronavirus. The good news is something that I talked about recently, and that is that the hardworking people in medicine have come up with better ways to treat people And so, as they've learned over this year, and so even with the spike in cases, the fatality rates will not be as ugly versus number of cases as they were earlier this year. But regardless, this is really ugly for the economy. And it doesn't matter the false choice arguments about lockdowns, not lockdown, whatever. What really matters is what individuals choose to do and individuals by their actions are showing that they are going to do uh, less eating out less travel less different activities that will impact how the economy is doing we have kind of stalled out with half the jobs lost to coronavirus have recovered the other half not and now we're going to face what could be a very difficult next few months. The good news is that we are closer to having vaccines that seem to work and widely adopted if they are in 21, that coronavirus will be defeated. In the meantime, though, it's going to be tough for people's health, their lives, and the economy, and that's why the stock market is tanking because economic activity will decline because of this surge. Um, And we need a new game plan. We need a new roadmap. And I think we will get to one about how we do disease management in the U.S. We're just not there yet. So what does that mean to you with the concerns I've been hearing from people with what may be the most unloved stock market I can recall, where as the stock market has 
had these great values for a long time, people have been really, really afraid. And polling of investors shows that people have been really worried that we would have the market tank because of how valued stocks have been potentially overvalued. So I don't want you to react emotionally to this wave of uncertainty. I want you to think about what game you're in. If you have money in the stock market that you need right away, that's dangerous. If you have money in the stock market that you don't need for a good while, then this isn't dangerous. And I'm a huge believer in something Warren Buffett was talking about again recently, how for individual investors, you want to invest on a regular schedule. It's an old boring concept that has the double dull name, dollar cost averaging. The idea is that you ignore current news about the economy and what you do is you're steady as you go because you're not investing for today, you're investing for the long term. And if you put money in on a regular schedule, most often for most of us, that would be through a retirement plan at work or potentially through a Roth IRA. If you put money in each pay period or each month, you don't have to worry as much about the short-term zigs and zags with what investments are worth. The reason is, is that particularly for those that are under age 45, a calamitous stock market today makes you more money over time for when you will use the money later in your life. It's simple math. Because when the market declines, every dollar you put in from your paycheck buys you the equivalent of more shares of whatever you're investing in through a retirement plan at work or on your own. So a downdraft in the market actually long term makes you more money. So let's go to somebody who's older than 45. When do you panic? Well, panic is a word I don't like with investing because it's when people make an emotional decision that can later really cause financial harm. So as you are steadily older than 45, it's all about having the right mix of what you're invested in so that you reduce your risk. For people in retirement, as I shared just a couple of weeks ago, you want to have a good cushion of boring stuff, cash or cash equivalents, CDs, savings accounts, or things like that, that is the money that you could live on for a significant period of time, regardless of what happens with the rest of your money, if you're fortunate enough to have piles of money, that is invested in stocks to deal with the effects of inflation over time in your life. Because somebody who's in his or her 60s has a good shot of living into his or her 90s, even beyond, but certainly into their 80s. So you have to worry about what happens to the value of each dollar as inflation eats into it over those years. And that's why money has to continue to be invested 
a portion of what you have in stock type choices, even moving forward. It's time for your questions you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Uh, producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, who are we starting with? Today we are starting with Anne from Tennessee. And Anne says, my husband and I are building our home with him acting as our general contractor. We've set aside cash for the home construction. We don't have any debt, but we'd like to make purchases with some sort of a reward credit card paying off the balance as we go. What would be the best card for this purpose? I would say the city double cash because it's just a flat 2% cash back. And 2% is pretty great. And so you get 1% back when you charge. You get 1% back when you pay. Because you have the cash, you'll be paying your bill in full every month. So it's like everything you'll buy for construction, you'll be getting an instant 2% discount on. And that is my favorite go-to. Historically, I might have asked you how much you love to travel and talked about reward cards for travel But right now, that's really in suspended animation with people not traveling. Joel? Clark Wayne in Georgia says, I know for some people who are interested in real estate investing, you suggest REITs. I recently learned about a few real estate investing apps like Fundrise, Realty Mogul, and Republic Real Estate. On first appearance, they seem to be viable options, but I wanted to get your take on these alternatives before I jump in. So uh, the idea of using these apps is that you will uh, own, with a smaller group of people, a much smaller portfolio of real estate. The thing you've got to look closely with these apps at is what are you paying to use them? It's not at all unusual with these that you pay 1% to 2.5% just for being part uh, participant, and you lack control with these private enterprises over what expenses they can charge the investors that you have no say-so over. The advantage of a REIT is generally they are buying, or a REIT index fund, you are buying something that there's disclosure of the expenses you'll pay that are a tiny fraction of what they are with these apps, and the investment portfolio tends to be much wider. So it's your choice I just think you're better off, particularly with a REIT index fund where you own a wide variety of investment real estate. And know that investment real estate has a pretty bumpy ride coming forward with the problems with people being able to pay their rents commercially, in retail, or in residential situations. Kim? Steve in North Carolina says, at what age would you consider someone to be too old to open and contribute to an HSA account? I'm 57 years old. I'm in good health and I max out my Roth account each year. You are not too old and it's something that's great because you're going to build up money in that HSA. You get an upfront tax benefit, an ongoing tax benefit, and then tax-free use of the money when you use it for medical bills much later in life. And so the money being able to grow tax-free and be used tax-free makes an HSA for those that can afford to pay current medical expenses out of pocket an unbelievable benefit. So yes, keep popping money into one. Angela's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Angela. How are you? 
Hi, Clark. How are you? Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. You bought a new home and the inspector said, Angela, there's a real problem here. And (laughs) then your builder says, Angela, that inspector doesn't know what he's talking about. You don't have a problem. So where are we now? Well, he, the builder, just absolutely didn't want to hear about it. He said that, uh, no, there was not a problem, and uh, I needed to close pretty quickly on this uh, house. So I decided not to pursue it, and now I'm having a pretty soap backyard whenever it rains oh that's what the inspector found is there's a a serious drainage problem yes Uh uh-huh it just uh it does not um reaches the house it's just for the yard so there is no problem of water going under the house or anything like that but yet yet no wait 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 i gotta say angela no problem with it hurting the house yet because as uh, a a problem with too much water and the the yard always being really damp it can mm-hmm. start to erode the soil and mm-hmm. water that comes you know just makes the yard messy can eventually find its way to the house unless the problem's addressed what mm-hmm. what does did the inspector think should have happened that the builder was adamant you didn't need? Well, he just didn't think that there was a drainage problem. He obviously, said, no. obviously there is. Do you have pictures and video of the problems? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. I have taken videos and pictures and everything every time that it rains. And did the builder give you a one- or two-year uh, builder's war- guarantee or warranty when you closed on the home one year one year and you are how far into the home um about um seven months all right and have you called the builder and said hey that thing you told me wasn't a problem is being a huge problem it it might be i have talked to him about a couple of things that he had to fix and uh he is not very friendly or personable, you know, just like... I don't care oh, if well. he's friendly or personable. He just needs to fix the problem. That's it. That's what I'm thinking. So, All right, so you need my, to get on record that there's a problem. You need to document it. And time is your enemy because you're seven months out. you got 12 months to hold the builder responsible. Mm-hmm. So I want you to send the builder a letter. Do not send it by certified mail, at least not yet. Make the letter friendly. Say, you know, you love the house, blah, blah, blah. You're so glad you're in the neighborhood, but you're having a terrible problem with drainage. And, uh, you know, as you may recall, I know you're busy, but you may recall this was something my inspector found before we closed, and you insisted it was not a problem. Let me tell you, it's a huge problem and it needs to be fixed. Has anybody recommended? Are they saying you should do, do a French drain, or what are what are you being told should be done to fix this? Yes, I was told by two different people that I should have a French drain. That it would be the best way to go. 
And that's usually what people say in a situation like this. And I'm I'm not smart enough to say if that's the right answer. But what you you in the letter you should say, uh, you know, it's been recommended that a French drain be installed. And I would call the inspector who you paid to do the inspection and say, hey, you know, the builder never fixed that. Um, what do you recommend? Unless it was the inspector who said it should be a French drain. No. No. Okay. Ask the inspector uh, his or her opinion on this. And then if the builder plays tough, you're going to have to start doing certified mail and stuff like that to get on record that you have filed a complaint within 12 months. And hopefully the builder will behave. And if the builder continues to blow you off at 10 months, I need to hear back from you because I'll give you a whole different strategy how to deal with that builder. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. And Americans continue in huge numbers by the millions every 90 days in the financial reports of the pay TV industry to realize you don't want to be with a cable company getting your pay TV or with DirecTV or Dish Network, that you want to stream those services. But then if you do go to stream, it is overwhelming. There are so many choices, so many confusing packages from company to company. And then something that I think a lot of people are completely befuddled by is all the streaming services that you can get for free, which to me is the best of all, being able to get content for free. But as you try to duplicate something like what you've been familiar with, with traditional pay TV from a cable monopoly or from DirecTV or Dish Network, and you are going to streaming, you're going to pay a per-month fee for various packages. And the 100 million or so people with T-Mobile have been uh, bombarded with messages from T-Mobile about how they're the new best player in town for streaming TV. Well, we have reviewed the new offering from the T-Mobile plans, and we're going to have a full write-up for you in a few days. But my analysis of what T-Mobile has offered is that only for someone who likes a lot of content that is entertainment only, no sports, don't really care about getting news from a streaming service. Only for you, the $10 a month new T-Mobile service is a worthwhile streaming product that goes across platforms, obviously on your phone with T-Mobile, and every platform I can think of except Roku is in the game now with the new T-Mobile thing. For someone, though, who likes a lot of entertainment television and doesn't care about sports, I still believe that Philo, that a lot of people have still not heard of, P-H-I-L-O, that Philo is the best deal going in home streaming as a replacement for traditional pay TV because it's a flat 20 bucks a month. And it's available across all the major platforms, 
the two biggest, Roku, of course, and the Amazon Fire product. And so this is a thing that even allows for multiple people in the household because you can be watching three streams at a time with Philo. Uh, so Philo is really great. There are some problems with Philo, though, that require more thinking on your part, which is usually you're going to have to uh, have locast.org to get your local channels, or you're going to have to use an antenna, which integrates very well with the various methods of getting pay TV. Um, as far as T-Mobile deciding that pay TV needed one more player, um, at the price points they did, they decided they didn't want to lose money on any of the packages, and nothing they offered jumped out at me as like, wow, T-Mobile people really need to look at this thing. So uh, you never know what happens as something moves through a corporate bureaucracy where they lose the initiative to really do something dramatic in a marketplace. I can tell you this one from T-Mobile is not dramatic. And if you want to know the best players for various situations, whether you want sports, you don't want sports, which channels and all the rest, go look at our streaming guide that we continually update virtually every single week. Our last update was just days ago at Clark.com. And right across the top bar, you'll see streaming TV. Another new development from just weeks ago, as I told you, for people who use a light amount of data about new plans from Boost Mobile that are potentially dramatically the best in the marketplace. I think I've said dramatically twice in just the last two minutes. Anyway, Boost Mobile now has significantly improved the plans I talked about just weeks ago. For 10 bucks a month with Boost Mobile, you get unlimited talk and text, of course. You get a hotspot, and you get two gigs of data, which is enough for a, a meaningful portion of cell phone users in the United States that are relatively light users of the data side of a cell phone. But what's significant is at 15 a month, you get four gigs of data, which is enough for a big portion of cell phone users in the U.S. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, go look at your bills with your existing provider and see how much data you really are using month to month and check the Boost Mobile network coverage to see how it looks on their maps for where you live, where you go, to see if this $10 a month or $15 a month plan would work for you because that can, then you multiply that out by 12, it could be a huge difference for you in what you're paying each month, each year for a major bill that so many of us have that we just expect to have to have. It may be in older plans, particularly with the two legacy, much, much more expensive cell phone providers, AT&T and Verizon, you could save potentially a great deal of money with a plan like either of these boost plans. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. 
Producer Joel, I think it's your turn. That's right, Clark. And Joe in California has got a question. He says, a year ago, we had a wonderful time on a cruise. And while on board, we purchased a future cruise credit in the amount of $500. Being a senior with a history of asthma, being on a cruise ship is about the last place I want to be during a pandemic. There was a short window to get a refund on this deposit, but that time has long since passed. Are you aware of any way I could get a full or even partial refund due to the current COVID conditions? I'm really sorry to be the bearer of bad news. The cruise lines, which are not technically based in the United States, have been uh, pretty hard-hearted with this because they're losing amounts of money that are stunning, how much money the cruise lines are losing every 24 hours, having to maintain their huge fleets, pay for them, um, have staffing to maintain these ships, and they are holding on to every single dollar. There's zero chance that I would expect that you could get that money back. Um, As far as being able to go on a cruise, I don't have a perfect crystal ball, but I think that we are about a year away from when people with pre-existings, like you with asthma and your age, will feel comfortable going on a cruise ship again, because I think A year from now, around the world, we will be well on our way to defeating coronavirus. So you got to hope the cruise line stays around and hope that you feel comfortable in the next year or two to take a cruise and be able to use that that advanced deal that you got on the ship. And again, I'm sorry because I've had to give this kind of negative answer to nearly 100% of people who've called me with cruise ship questions. Kim? Kristen in Mississippi says, Clark, you've advised that when shopping for a home loan, inquiries into your credit are treated as one because it is not expected that you are buying more than one house. I'm preparing to buy a car and I wanted to shop the rates. Does this advice apply to shopping car loans as well? Thank you for asking me this question. I appreciate this so much. Because your instinct is correct. It's not as generous a policy as it is with mortgages, but it's generally accepted practice and credit scoring that all inquiries for a vehicle loan in a 14-day period are for one loan, not for three or five or seven or ten. So if you, in a very concentrated period, shop that vehicle loan, you will have one hard hit on your credit, even though there may have been multiple hard inquiries for that vehicle loan. Just watch the calendar when you do it. Joel? Clark, Michael in Florida says, I'm currently contributing the max of $19,000 a year to my employer's 401k plan. However, I also have a side gig though, and I work as an independent contractor to make some extra money. Am I able to open some sort of self-employed 401k and contribute there also? Uh, the easiest for you in that situation where you're already maxing your 401k, where you stay clear of any conflicts, is to open a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension, which gives you the ability to put into it, I think it's 57000 a year, something like that, up to that. And so you can both participate in the 401k, And then with your self-employed income, do a SEP. 
Uh, the the 57 I talked about, or 58, whatever the number is now, because, I mean, whoever gets to that max, is it's a ratio up to that based on your net earnings from your side gig that you're getting a 1099 from or that you're self-employed. So SEPs uh, are so simple to set up. The paperwork takes just about 90 seconds to fill out. It's not even filed with the IRS. And then you're able to divert additional income to deferred from what would be taxed in the current year. Kim? Martha in South Carolina says, my sister is co-signed for her son on an apartment lease. He's defaulted on payments and she's already paid one month's rent. What is it going to do to her credit rating if she no longer makes that monthly payment when he doesn't? This is brutal, and we're going to have this question again and again with how many people are going to end up being evicted from apartments. When you co-sign an apartment, it is as if you are the individual who's residing in it in terms of how you're treated on your credit and the potential, particularly if you're the one with the deep pockets, the potential that you'll get hit by a judgment by a lawyer representing the landlord later following an eviction. So you end up with an eviction, you end up potentially with a judgment. If in any way possible, you can pay the rent or pay the landlord an early termination fee to terminate the lease, that would be the best thing. And it's one of the real dangers of doing a cosign. You know, people cosign for children, other loved ones, family members, and many times don't realize how serious it can be for your own finances, your own credit. It is a decision you have to be very, very clear on because you get no benefit of the obligation, but you get the full responsibility. Donnell is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? How you doing, Clark? Great, thank you. So congratulations are in order. You uh, have really worked hard to boost that credit score of yours. Tell me what you've come from and where you are now. Well, I, I, when I first started clearing up my credit, I, I was so ecstatic that I started just grabbing every credit card that was offered to me. And as time went on, as you get a little older, you realize you don't need all those cards. And I want to say I probably had about 10, 10 cards. Uh, I got myself in a lot of debt. Um, my wife actually helped me get out of the debt because I used all of them. But now I'm realizing it's not necessary. And my biggest question to you is, will it hurt my credit score or my credit rating if I closed some of the credit cards? Yeah, and so this is the hard thing because, yes, it will hurt your credit score and standing to close accounts. But if you are worried that you'll, uh, if they're existing, that you'll use them, then it's probably better to close them so you're not tempted to use them. But if, if you've got that under control where what you can do is when they send you a new card, you cut it up, but you don't use it, it stays active on your report. It shows as part of your available credit, because how much of your available credit you use, Donnell, is 
of your credit right. score, almost a third. So as you close cards, you reduce your available credit. So whatever you use actually looks like you're using too much of your credit because you never want to use more than at most 30% of your available credit limits. So okay. with these 10 cards, how many have a balance today? Uh, actually, only two of them have a balance right now. Great. And you're not no. using those others really at all now? Right. Right. Do any of them have an annual fee? I believe so. Okay, so if you have one or two cards that have an annual fee and you want to close those, fine. But the, the ones that don't have annual fees, leave them be because okay. they show payment history. They continue to be part of your active credit. And by having them, it gives you that greater amount of available credit which helps boost your score. Are you tracking your score these days? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. What, I mean, I look at Credit Karma and I look at Experian. And I'm not sure. They're both different, like off by a lot of points. And I'm not sure which one should I really be following. So I don't know why the Experian would be so different because uh, they're both using a version of what's known as Vantage scoring, um, give me a sense, like, what is the experience score versus what's showing on Credit Karma? Credit Karma, could, right now, like, my Credit Karma is like 737, uh, TransUnion 739, but when you go to Experience, it's 682. And is there anything different on the Experian report itself that would lead to a 50-point difference? Not to, not to my knowledge. When I huh. look at them, they look the same to me. All right. Then then I would not worry so much about the Experian because I've found that the Credit Karma scores are um, usually much closer in the ballpark to a FICO score than what you're seeing here. And okay. so you've, you're doing a good job being in the 700s where you are and just keep on keeping on with what you're doing keep the use of those cards really low, make sure every bill's paid on time, and that's all you need to do to have a good, solid credit record moving forward. And good for you and your wife as well for helping you get to this point. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.